But sometimes we want things that we know are bad for us. And we become tuned to that. We become people who search for that. And so we say we've become sinful. We're fallen. And the, and the story that Hebrew tradition and, and the Christian tradition and the Scriptures that we share tell is of Eve who took the fruit that God said for her not to eat. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And that we fell from there and became sinful. God desired to do something about that and called a man named Abraham to build a people to teach the world how to live the way that God wants us to live, how to hit the mark, so that we could live with God even though we were fallen. God gave us a way to make things okay. God worked to make things okay. And so God called a people called Israel out of Abraham. And they struggled. Their name means struggles with God. And so then God sent Christ to be a representative of those people to get it right for us. To live a sinless life. A life devoted to the Father and to the neighbor. To live a sinless life. That's the problem of sin in the world is that sin causes us to be devoted to me. And I becomes our favorite word. When we're awash in sin, we defend everything we do. Have you ever noticed that if somebody catches you and doing something wrong, you don't think, man, I really appreciate you pointing that out to me. You say, it's none of your business. Why are you messing in my Kool-Aid? Right? We don't like it when people point out ways that we've gone astray. Because we know that many times we choose those things. The Pharisees, another term we're going to deal with for a moment, were determined not to see that happen to the people. They get a pretty bad rap, but their goal was holiness. Their goal was pleasing God, but they let it go to their heads that they were the people who were able to do it. They heaped rules and rules and rules upon the law that Moses had already given the people so that they wouldn't break the law. So they gave them rules so they wouldn't break the law. You follow that? Sounds like Congress, right? Constantly messing in their lives, and they held up impossible standards that the people couldn't attain to. As a matter of fact, when Peter and Paul and some other leaders of the early church were trying to figure out whether or not you and I would have to be circumcised and become Jews before we could be part of Christ's church, Peter said, why are we going to put on the Gentiles something we ourselves could not keep? Meaning the law. The Pharisees were determined to help people not be sinners. It was a big deal to them. But Jesus said they had become so obsessed with that that they, while their lips spoke about God, their hearts had become far from God because they were seeking to make themselves righteous instead of depending on the righteousness of a holy God. So we have a sinner and a Pharisee who show up at a dinner apparently largely because of Jesus. The Pharisee invites Jesus to his house, but he doesn't do the things that he should have done for Jesus. So we can assume that Jesus isn't necessarily a welcome guest. And we know that Jesus has been struggling with the Pharisees. They don't like his preaching. They don't like his teaching. They don't like the things that he's saying because he keeps talking about how what God desires is an inward holiness and an inward reality, not just the appearance of being holy. One of my pet peeves is when somebody gets worked up about not being able to pray over a microphone at a high school football game. I, want, I always want to ask, which is more better, 3,000 people praying 
or one person praying something they didn't even think about when they wrote it down. Sometimes we just get trapped in the idea of looking holy. You know what I mean? We get so obsessed with looking holy that we forget to make the effort to be holy. And the only effort we can really make to be holy is to fall at the feet of Christ. That's all we can give to that contract is our heart. A dinner shows up. One person convinced of his righteousness, the other person who knows she's not righteous. One person able to see Christ's compassion and the other unable to see Him at all. Our sin can blind us to God's compassion. Being defensive about it can keep us from it. We can refuse God's compassion toward us. Now last week, you'll remember that we heard about a widow who was leaving the town of Nain to bury her son who had apparently just died and how Jesus saw her coming out and walked up and raised her son and gave the son back to her. And at first we might think Jesus was doing something for the son, but truly what Jesus was doing was helping that woman out because she had become a non-entity. Jesus had compassion on her and she didn't ask Jesus for a thing. Remember that? She didn't ask him, didn't look at him. As far as we know, she didn't even acknowledge him. But he stopped her and had compassion on her. And I held this up and y'all said what? We need to invest in memory pills. I hold that up because a couple of you shared with me this week that you've taken this to doctor's appointments with you. Um, you've, you've found yourself in your shop saying this when you mess something up. And, and, and what it says is keep calm and press on in faith. And, and what we remember is that Jesus' compassion toward us doesn't depend on us getting everything right. It doesn't depend on us asking for it. That Jesus was compassionate toward that widow and because Jesus was compassionate toward that widow, we can believe that Jesus will be compassionate toward us when our life is a mess and we can keep calm, keep calm, and press on in faith. This woman today knows that reality. She knows what she's done. If Simon the Pharisee, just a guy from town, knows what she's done, don't you think she does? But she also knows that sometime before this dinner, she ran into some guy named Jesus on the street and he told her that God loved her anyway and that she was forgiven for it. And now she's heard that he's at this man's house and I can't help but think that maybe she knows Simon isn't going to welcome him. Maybe she knows this Pharisee's not going to take care of him and she comes up to do what Simon refused to do, which is love Jesus as an honored guest in her life. A person who had compassion on her. She was keeping calm and pressing on in faith. Don't you think it was hard for her to walk into that Pharisee's house? If she knew she was a sinner, she knew what his opinion of her would be. She knew it. And she knew that as soon as she walked into that house, she was an unwelcome guest just like Jesus. And so she made the point of going and standing over his feet. Jesus would have been laying on his left side with his feet out away from the table so she could stand at his feet and cry out of love for him 
and wet his dirty feet with her hair because for all we know, he might have been the only person seated at that table with dirty feet. And because of what he had done for her, by seeing her and loving her when nobody else in town would, she was desiring to love him and do something for him. And not only did she wet his feet with her tears, she did the unthinkable in her society. She took her hair down and touched a man's feet with her hair. As scandalous as anything else she had ever done, she got in the floor and wiped his feet with her hair because she knew she was a sinner and because he had loved her anyway. And then she took what probably must have been the most extensive thing she owned, an alabaster jar, and she broke it and put the ointment on him. Not only did she clean his feet, but she anointed him, all out of love. But Simon wouldn't do the bare minimum. He wouldn't do anything for Jesus. He didn't even offer him the customary things that we would offer someone coming into our house. Like, right, you want a glass of sweet tea? Can I get you anything? Sit here. What's the contrast? One of them has the courage to admit that they're a sinner that needs grace. That's the woman. Simon thinks he's got everything worked out. He thinks that by keeping rules, he can attain the righteousness that God desires. But the sinful woman and Jesus know that that comes from God's compassion. That the righteousness we receive, any righteousness we might have in our life, comes from God. not from ourselves. It's really an amazing opposition. On one hand, you have a man named Simon who thinks that righteousness is something he can achieve. And on the other hand, you have the God-man named Jesus who knows that righteousness is a gift from God. On one hand, you have a man who, who can, thinks he can look down on another person just because they have failed and not even consider his own failures. And on the other hand, you have a woman whose whole life has been changed because somebody had the guts to speak to her in public. A life-changing event for her. Jesus looked at her with compassion. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, that reminded the church that we're saved by faith, not by the works that we do said this about being called a sinner. He said, As often as you insist that I am a sinner, just so often do you call me to remember the benefit of Christ my Redeemer, upon whose shoulders and not upon mine lie all my sins. So when you say that I am a sinner, you do not terrify me, but comfort me immeasurably. Because Christ came for sinners. The Pharisees' greatest rebuke of Jesus is that He is a friend of sinners. That, dear ones, is what they disliked about Him the most. 
Listen to Jesus' own words about that from verse 33 through 35. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. A friend of sinners. The Son of God. At this dinner table, at that banquet that night, made an insult, a, rea a reality, a real picture of the love of God, of the true nature of God, that God is a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. At some point, Jesus had reached out to her spoken comforting words of forgiveness to her, and she came to show her love for him. Because she knew what she was, and she knew what he had forgiven, and so she loved him. And Jesus said to Simon, one person owed a man 50 days of wages, and another person owed a man 500 days of wages. He, he forgave both their debts. Who loved him more? And Simon said, the one who owed more. And Jesus told him, you're correct. We all owe a debt that we can't pay. We all have sinned. We all owe the, the wages of sin that Paul says is death. We all owe that and we can't pay it. But Christ forgives it and offers to pay it for us because He's a friend of sin. And in this story, Luke lets us see what that looks like. And the fascinating thing at the end of it is Jesus says to her, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I can't help but wonder, are we not supposed to ask ourselves, then where can she go? Simon thinks she's a horrible person. And she says if Jesus was really a prophet, He wouldn't let her touch Him. And then of course, I guess, for ironic, ironic sake, Luke reminds us that Jesus knew what Simon was thinking, so he was a prophet. But he says if he was really a prophet, he wouldn't even let her touch him. Where is she going to go in town that somebody's going to say something other than, well, I remember what she was like last week, right? I have had conversations with people about people that have come to Christ and their family, and I've heard them say, well, you should have known him when he was young, preacher. And all I want to say was, thank God I don't, Right? I know him when he's a child of God. I know him when he loves God. I know him after he's knelt at the feet of Christ and washed his feet with his tears. And he's been changed and he's different. I feel like Martin Luther, call me a sinner all you want because you're right. <laughs> and it comforts me because I know that Christ died for me. And I hope that you know that Christ died for you. And you won't let the thought that if you admit you're a sinner, you always have to be that, hold you from being willing to admit that. Because that could have happened to that woman. She could have said, there's no way I'm going in that house. There's no way I'm admitting what's going on in my life. There's no way that I'm admitting that this man has said something to me that's changing me because people are going to talk bad at me. So what? They're going to talk bad about you anyway. <laughs> right? All those people that we're afraid of showing our faith in front of because they'll put us down and mock us, they're going to mock us anyway. They don't like you. 
It's okay. Let it go. Be who you are. Be a person that Christ has redeemed and forgiven. Be bold. Be brave to say to people, I know you're a sinner. So am I. That's how we end up at the feet of Christ in peace. Not by denying what's true, but by admitting what's true. That we can't create righteousness in ourselves. No matter how hard I try, I can't be perfect. I know what I ought to do, don't y'all? Don't you know what you ought to do? Ought to think all the time? And do you ever find yourself just wanting to smack yourself in the head to lane and say, why did I do that? Yeah. All the time. Say something mean to somebody that I really wish I wouldn't have said. Think something mean I really wish I wouldn't have said. And I'm constantly reminded that God is still at work in me. That I'm not a complete work yet. Just like that woman. But she comes in the house and all somebody says is, well, you should have known her yesterday, Jesus. She needs a place of peace, doesn't she? I think Luke wants us to realize that we're that place. That when we gather together, we are a group of people who know that we're sinners. That we're people who have missed the mark. But we also know that Jesus has said to us, your sins are forgiven. We are a forgiven and forgiving people. A place of peace. That's what we're called to be. A place of peace for people who are hurt, who are tired of the world looking at them and say, you're just a sinner, you don't belong anywhere. As I told you before, I have a pastor friend whose church told him, when you get your life straightened out, you can come back and we'll be here for you. I think the bishop should close that church. I want to be the pastor of a church that says we're sinners and we welcome sinners here with us to find forgiveness at the feet of Christ. I believe that's who you are. It's one of the reasons I'm grateful the bishop sent me back to you. Because you're not afraid to struggle in public. Don't be afraid to admit your faith. Don't be afraid to walk into a dinner room crowded with people who will think you're silly when you kneel at his feet and wash his feet with your hair because that's the only place of peace in this world is at the feet of Christ. He's a friend of sinners. Pharisees meant it as an insult. But it's the greatest news ever shared. He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of David. He's a friend to you. Don't you need a friend like that? Who will welcome you at his feet no matter what scandal it causes him. You think Simon didn't like him before. Can you imagine how much Simon hated him after? After he let that woman touch his feet with her hair. He's a friend of sinners. He came for the sick. He came for us. Let's join Martin Luther in being glad that when people call us sinners, we can rejoice because we know we're redeemed. And we can find in it not an insult, but a great comfort because we know that it's only when we can acknowledge our sin that we can repent and accept what Christ has done for us. Until we can acknowledge that we are sinful, 
It's impossible for us to do this. Say it with me. Keep calm and press on in faith. Until we're willing to come in public and kneel at the feet of Christ and offer Him our life in front of others, it's impossible for us to do this. Our place, dear ones, is in the floor with that woman. Not standing over her talking about how horrible she is. Jesus calls us to be friends of sinners also. Be a place of peace for them. A place where they can go and experience the healing presence of the risen Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.